0: So we're gonna talk about a lot of movies in this, and uh, there's gonna be spoilers. So we're not gonna break down the movies bit by bit from beginning to end, but at the same time we're gonna be talking about the stuff that's interesting t- to us and revolves around the topic. So spoiler warning I, to you. There's your warning. There's your so warning. So take if it. If
1: you don't listen and something spoiled for you, that's your fault. Yeah, dum dum. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Is this central is Central Control, control. Stand, stand by. by.
1: Welcome once again to The Transmission, everyone. Hopefully you all are being safe out there and staying six feet apart like Tim and I here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we're
1: 6,000 feet apart. Right. Not only are Tim and I wearing our glass helmets like normal, but masks and the back as well. <laughs> yeah, so no coronavirus here. That's right. Don't Don't practice unsafe talking.
0: Yeah, but the numbers are rising on the Forbidden Planet.
1: (laughs) Wait a minute, there's only two of us here. What are you trying to say, (laughs) Tim? Exactly. (laughs) I suspect you. Ah, well, I'm very suspectable. But anyway, welcome to Transmissions from the Forbidden Planet. (laughs) You are who? I am Derek. And
0: I am Timothy. That's right. And today, Mm -hmm. we're going to tackle a subject that's kind of fun and kind of messy at the same time. Mmm, sex. <laughs> Close. Oh, okay. A little more. Th- the sex is a little more thwarted in America. This is what's put on top. We're <laughs> going to talk about graphic action. Ooh. Mmm. And what do we mean by that? We're talking about when action movies get a little deep and gory. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And they push the envelope. Yeah. And, uh, we're, you know, we're, of course, we're going to discuss the king of it, which is Paul Verhoeven. Ooh, um, man. He brings uh, it. He brings it to the uh, forefront and in a most delicious way.
1: Mm, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. what we're going to do. <laughs> You're so right. let's
0: bleed on in to the next subject. It <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Let me pour my guts out
1: about this situation. Oh, I get what you did there. You <laughs> sly minx, you. You're You're
2: right. Right.
0: Before we get into the big movies that we want to talk about We should we have a few honorable mentions in, As far
1: as uh, of violence And action and stuff like that Okay. Well I'll go first because I have one ready to go I am going to pick a film that we Recently talked about in a previous episode And that's the movie Drive Oh yeah Fucking A With my boy Ryan Gosling I got this sweet job coming up
2: How about this Shut your mouth Or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and I'll shut it for you
1: There is a scene in an elevator in this film. If anyone has seen the film before, then they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, In the elevator is Ryan Gosling's character, uh, Mulligan's character, who's the quasi-love interest, and then another gentleman that apparently Gosling's character is not real fond of. So he ends up beating this gentleman to the ground. Yeah. Gosling starts kicking him in the face with his boot, and they don't stay on the gore. For very long, right. the way they show Gosling kicking his face in and then the look on Gosling's face, it's so disturbing. I just remember being in awe in the theater watching that scene. It really freaked me out, and I really loved the film for actually freaking me out in the scene. And you can see the freaked-out look that I had on Kathy Mulligan's face because she's witnessing this character doing this horrible thing, and it's absolutely amazing. I love that scene in that movie.
0: Okay, for me in that movie, I'm going to, because I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. The scene that really disturbed me was when the woman from Mad Men takes the shotgun blast in the face. Oh, right. Catherine Hicks, I believe. I did not expect that. I did not see it coming. And to see a pretty woman get yep. mangled by a shotgun shell like that, yep. I praise the boldness of it, but it also yep. definitely shook me to my core. All right. Yeah. So. Good call on that one.
1: I ah, thank you.
3: You plan to take your gasoline out of the wasteland. You send them out this morning to find a vehicle—a rig big enough to hold that fat tank of gas.
0: Okay, so when I was a kid, when I, the, I, I was one of probably the few Americans who saw <laughs> Mad Max One before a, The Road Warrior. Right. And. Um, there's a couple scenes in there that kind of freaked me out. There's like, uh, or the guy, the one guy who chains the station wagon up as it's driving away, and his arm gets ripped off. They find the arm dangling from the car as they get to their spot. I, you know, that freaked me out. Yeah. And then also in Road Warrior, Mad Max 2, when the shit's really about to hit the fan in front of the refinery place, yeah. the little savage boy has that sharpened boomerang, and he throws it and then it, the goofy character tries to catch it and it obviously takes his fingers off everybody starts laughing at him right. but then when he throws it again there's that Mohawk guy on the motorcycle yeah. has his little little um, lover boy on the back right. with the long blonde hair and he just takes that boomerang dead in the head yep. and it shocked me and I remember thinking wow that was a cool use of gratuitous violence because right. It, it's stuck in my head all these years later, you know?
1: Damn, yeah. Yeah, I know for sure. Road Warrior was one of those that I was just like, is this all really happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a great
0: concept and such a weird departure from the, the original source material, yeah. you
1: know? Well, I will do on my last one. I will do my last honorable mention, something that's a kind of attached to what you just said. Because the star of that movie directed this movie, and it's Apocalypto. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The way Mel Gibson films violence is very in-your-face and visceral. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Braveheart, of course, there's a lot of violence and gore in that film. And mm-hmm. Apocalypto, I think that one sticks with me just because he really captures you up in the peril that these main characters are in mm-hmm. it's just amazing like that scene where they're running and they're throwing spears at them and they're trying to dodge the spears but yeah you can hear it fly by you and then you keep looking up and seeing them come and then one person gets hit and when that person gets hit you feel it and it just really pulls you into the action and the gore and the consequences of the gore in the film And so that, but of course, and the gory thing is when they're walking up, they're being all being led up to that temple and then people are being beheaded. And, oh man, I was just so unnerved by that slow pace of walking up to that temple, knowing that you're gonna get your head cut off and seeing the heads roll down the steps over and over again, really
0: builds the tension. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the one the one last one I'm going to mention too is a Arnold Schwarzenegger film that made him famous, and that's Terminator. There's the original Terminator.
1: Right. Sarah Kana.
2: Yes.
0: There's a couple of really cool limited. Budget effects, but still interesting where the T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger, takes damage to the face, and his organic flesh eye is no longer of use. He takes the knife and sticks it in and cuts all that stuff out, and that shit was pretty cool. And then just some of the brutality that, that, that he commits through some of the other people there, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a rough one. That, that is literally, you move into T2 and everyone knows T2 better and mm-hmm. likes it better. And I think that's just because it's a huge action film. Mm-hmm. T1, if you really look at it, it's a horror film. Yeah, with yes. action in it,
0: right? Because it's not—it's not unlike a slasher film where the exactly, the, but it gives you—it's grounded in, in science, right. nonfiction in a way to where like, <laughs> whereas Voorhees keeps getting up, and you're like, why? Why does he yeah, keep getting? Exactly. I don't get it. Where, I
1: want an explanation for. Yeah, this—the
0: <laughs> this, the, the T800 has a reason for getting up again. Yeah, and then, right,
2: right.
1: And now our feature presentation. Film, as you may know, Tim, is a little older than you or I. (laughs) So I've heard. So, uh, of course, film must have an origin story. Mm. And although violence on film was definitely being dealt with in horror films much earlier than this, I think action films really took a gory turn. 1967's Bonnie and Clyde by Arthur Penn. Mm.
4: Good afternoon. This is the Barrow Gang. Now, if everybody will just take it easy, nobody
0: will get hurt. Very much so. So in that same time period, too, the American staple uh, of Hollywood was the western and uh, right. this was a, a, ch- a, ch- a changing point in western movies not only being influenced by some of the Italian filmmakers too but some of the American filmmakers decided to push the
1: envelope and get a little grittier and darker and violent yeah, oh, yeah for sure and I, I mean speaking of what you know you see the violence that happens in, in Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde yeah. that guy he's basically like well if they shot the shit out of them near their car in real life we're gonna shoot the shit out, shoot out of them and we're cool. gonna we're gonna do right. that and they get this awesome guy in makeup Dick Smith to come and he does all of the squibs for him it's the first time you really see bloody nastiness that's happening to people mm-hmm. you have those people like you're talking about to do other movies so Sam Peckinpah comes along in 1969 he's just like alright you want to see violence I'm going to show <laughs> you some violence and right. apparently allegedly Sam Peckinpah's whole uh, reason for doing that kind of thing was upping the gore was people were praising uh, Bonnie and Clyde for have, being gutsy and showing something new in cinema and the gore and, and really instead of uh, what he thought should be done was like showing the horror of crime and violence and stuff like that he, he was upset by it from Bonnie and Clyde from 67 so when he goes on to do the wild bunch in 69 mm-hmm. he ends up bringing his version of goriness and the and the product of violence and he does it in slow-mo so you see real squibs going off in slow-mo and blood pouring out of them and all of this stuff and you know for the time of course it has that overly bright red colored blood and everything Mm -hmm. like that but that was something that people freaked out about back then but what it did was Allegedly, again, he wanted it to have the effect of "This is so gross, I don't ever want to see anything like this again." Right, but it didn't have that effect, of course. And so Hollywood pushes it forward, pushes violence forward, pushes gore forward, and apparently Peck and Paul was very upset by that. He didn't get to do right. What he right. He was to. trying
0: to make a statement right. about how violent America mm-hmm. was, and and it backfired on him. It did the reverse. Show people how <laughs> disgusting we are, and it backfired a little. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: Violence per se has never been my bag, except personally. But in pictures, it has I, I would like to uh, try to at least portray it on the screen as it is. And I failed.
1: So, yeah, so exactly. So that feeds into, you know, violence in film. And mm-hmm. what, what kind of things you're gonna? This episode, of course, we're concentrating on action films. You know, Bonnie and Clyde definitely falls into that. Is anyone's ever seen it? It's definitely a, a more theatrical telling of the story, for sure. Right. There's, there's a lot of dramatization put in there and and stuff. But I mean, it's a it's a good film. I like it a lot. And then Wild Bunch, of course, you're moving on to the Wild Bunch and and everything. Mm-hmm. He crammed a lot into that film and stuff. But being that he put that violence into that film, it just shifted. From first to fourth gear, right. right. And the the violence in Bonnie and Clyde inspired Francis Ford Coppola when he went on to do Godfather. He was mm-hmm. he was just like, we need to get the guy who did the violence in Bonnie and Clyde to do the violence in this, because if they're showing that kind of violence on these thugs, if we're dealing with the mafia, we gotta yeah. come to play.
0: We gotta up the ante. We gotta right. up the ante a bit, right?
2: But I'm a superstitious man. And if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should get shot in the head by a police officer.
3: Or if he should hang himself in his jail cell. Or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning. Then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room.
0: It becomes exponential as as we get through the 70s and into the 80s and all Definitely. that stuff. And yeah.
4: Michael he says hello.
0: So, Derek, in talking about this subject, what do you think it is about graphic violence and gore that we uh, we find so
1: fascinating? Uh, I think it's the shot. One is the shock value. It's immediate shock value. It's like mm-hmm. the same reason I think, uh, maybe not all of us, but I think a large percentage of us, if someone turns on some horrible video in front of us i know this has happened to me someone said hey watch this video it's someone getting beheaded or something i don't want to watch that but if it's in motion and they're already showing it to me i can't not watch right you know what i mean It's in our genetic makeup. <laughs> right. You think of
0: the townspeople in in England going around uh, waiting for the the next beheading to happen and all right. that stuff, and you know, or Roman Colosseum stuff, you know, where right. everybody's like clamoring to see gladiators get torn to pieces by.
1: <laughs> totally. And even when you watch those any documentaries about that kind of stuff or any movie about this, be a gladiator or whatever it is, I can't help but think. I wonder what it was like to sit in there and watch that shit happen.
0: Like, yeah. Well, if you think about, um, traditional warfare from say revolutionary times or civil war times, where they're doing that lining up against each other and just kind of facing it head on, or even further back in more barbaric, like uh, right. Braveheart or Viking era and all that stuff where they're just running into each other. Right. With swords. And, 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 and uh, that's always what I think every time I think, what would I be like in that person right. in that situation? I mean, and um, that's kind of the catharsis to some of this gore in movies is because we've we are so pussified through civilization right. exactly, <laughs> you know yeah. that uh, we kind of can maybe attach to our roots a little bit without threat. you know right. it's kind of like we've talked about with horror in the past too. you know yeah. you can kind of experience what it's like to be chased by a masked man with a machete without <laughs> right. actually having to do it. You know? Right.
1: Exactly and it brings that exhilaration to it And it also brings that thing I mean uh, you and I exchanged some information Up on preparation for the show And there was that one study that was saying That you kind of forget a few seconds Before and after what you see that's Extremely violent in films you just mm-hmm. remember that And that sticks out in your brain and that's kind of What we're talking about today and Our subject is these things That stick in our brains even if we don't remember The whole movie we remember right. these parts right. Of the movie Right
0: but then, of course, there's also an interesting evolution that I've kind of figured out right. in um, preparing for this episode was that you become so desensitized to a point that you kind of forget how violent some of these movies are. Like, right. I was watching some Kill Count videos from JoeBlow.com on the movie Logan and on even on Total Recall, which is what we're going to cover and i'm like i because because when you mentioned total recall for this episode i'm like well that's probably the one Beerhoven movie that doesn't have a whole lot of killing in it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then i watched this kill count video and it's 109 kills <laughs> 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 you know and i'm like holy shit <laughs> yeah that's like twice almost twice as much as john wick one and right. uh, you know right. and then of course with 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 um with Logan, I completely forgot how violent that movie
1: was. Right, right. Yeah, there's, it's weird what happens with a lot of violent movies that over time, as you see other violence in other films, things become somehow watered down or, or very vanilla plain until you go back and you revisit it, and you then you see... Oh my God! Yeah, this movie's pretty fucking hardcore.
0: Yeah, and then there is that time period too in the late two thousands and early two thousand teens and stuff, where everything gets PG 13 thirteened out, right. you know, and a lot of remakes come out, and then it becomes blatantly obvious that these movies don't have that, and you almost hold it against them for right. kind of pulling their punches a lot of the ways, you know. Exactly. But let me ask you this: Can it go too far? Yeah, there...
1: yeah, I think it can I mean, nothing's jumping off the top of my head right away As far as action films go uh, Horror movies tend to push that envelope a little bit more And be a little more excessive in their violence that they choose to show yeah. But uh, action movies tend to plow through a lot of, of uh, footage. So if there's a lot of shooting or death going on, they're going from one victim to another to another. And, and it's not as excessive, unless it's Paul Verhoeven, of course. But, right. But uh, action films do tend to move along a little faster to, to not dwell on the violence for so long, but move past it to get you through to the next big event thing. So yeah, you know.
0: Yeah. Right, yeah I mean, there was this, you know, like a series of bad Stallone movies and stuff like that Where it got a little bananas I don't think it ever got super gory It was just more people being shot up kind of stuff Right Yeah, but like, when I think when we're talking about gory, it's like when people's guts are exposed right. and, and heads are getting lopped off and all that. Or in Logan, Wolverine finally getting to really right. tear people up the way he would have in the comics. Right, you yeah. Know?
1: And that was the whole point of that whole thing, to do that movie. I mean, thanks, of course, a big gratitude to Deadpool paving that way right, to right, give right. us the Wolverine movie that we needed right. and deserved. Right. But like you said, well, moving into the guy who started it all, for us, anyway, I think, yeah. uh, introduced us to real hardcore stuff, and that was B- Paul Verhoeven.
3: And I thought, basically, that reality should be taken seriously, you know, and that we should not hide that there is a representation of, of reality that basically wipes out all these kinds of what people call extreme, but it is, this is not true, eh? the truth is really that these things happen, yes, of course, and that there is, should not be a problem in portraying them. I mean, that's what I feel.
0: First one on the list is pretty much Robocop. Yeah.
4: Drop it! That are alive,
3: you are coming with me.
1: I remember distinctly mm-hmm. in this film, the one that stands out the most, and there's a lot of shit in that movie that uh, that stands out to me. I really, I mean, I loved this movie as a kid. Yeah. Loved I did seeing too. this movie. But I remember when, in the scene where the bad guys are about to shoot up Peter Weller's character, Alex Murphy, he's a cop. So they have him there on the floor.
3: Cops don't like me. So I don't
4: like cops. They're
1: zeroing in on his hand. (laughs) Right. And then they blow his hand off. That fucked me up. Yeah, they, they're
0: doing, and, and uh, Clarence Brodicker, who's played by the dad from that 70s show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> uh, or the dad from Dead Poets Society.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, right, correct.
0: Yeah, they, they uh, Verhoeven kind of does this thing, or the effects crew or whatever, create this thing to when the hand explodes, there's a lot of blood gushing out of the wrist right. and all that stuff, right before it snaps real quick. Yeah. Right. Well, and I remember thinking, too, that POV of him getting shot in the head, too, yeah. was pretty... Okay,
4: let's get out of here.
1: No, pretty totally. hardcore. Verhoeven has this way about him, like no other director I can even think of, that he can take this wild idea of a sci-fi action film mm-hmm. and insert violence in a way that's so disturbing that it completely takes you out of the absurdity of the premise of whatever this action adventure or sci-fi action adventure that you're on is, and it becomes disturbing.
3: Right, right. Yeah, I'm against violence, yeah. You might say that I love it, but artistically, yes. But, of course, in real life, no. That's the difference, you know. Artistically, I think it functions within the framework of the movie that you're making, and, and then there's no other way to shoot that than as a violent scene. isn't it?
1: And so when you look at the synopsis of something like RoboCop... The, it's just absurd because it's like a, a cop gets shot and then it's turned into this cybernetic robot cop. You're like, what B-movie is this? I know, right? <laughs> well, And let me add to that. I remember
0: being in, a, in the theater before the movie was released, uh, and I don't remember what I was seeing at the time, but the trailer came on right. for RoboCop. And it was the first time all of us in you know, the theater had seen it and all that stuff and were watching it. And the thing with trailers is they often lose the theme right? right of course so as you're watching it and they're playing it as this serious sci-fi movie the audience and including me are literally kind of chuckling and right. laughing and, and moaning and groaning about oh god how stupid is this right so that to the fact when it does come out a year later it ends up being one of the biggest hits of that summer and all that stuff and and right. going back to what you were saying about um the gravity of the violence uh, i think It kind of adds a certain sort of... um, It grounds it a bit is what it does. To the satirical nature of all of his movies. You know what I mean?
1: No, it does. For some reason, it brings you into... you, You take an absurd concept and you put real world consequences in it. It, yeah. it balances it out so perfectly that you, you you start to accept these things, you know what I mean. You look past all of the absurdness and you start to see the story with characters who could really get hurt, who can really get killed, mm-hmm. whose brains can really be blown out, and all of this shit, you know. Yeah, and I I think
0: for me the gore scene As- aside that,
1: from Murphy getting shot up, you mean?
0: I mean that one did stand out because of course he's very human at that point, and he right. was a good he's the good guy, he's the hero of the of the show, you know. Right. But it was when Emil. The truck into the toxic waste and he comes out the other side. And oh, I, man. even though he was a despicable character and you never really liked him, or you know, you thought he was kind of funny here and there, but
2: I like it! you're
0: like, this guy's a total prick. The minute he comes out of that van on the other side, and he goes to the guy from Twin Peaks, uh, <laughs> Leland Leland Palmer, right, right, from Twin Peaks,
1: Ray Weiss. Ray Weiss is his real name. Uh, Leon is his name in the movie.
0: So when Emil like grabs onto Leon in the movie, and Leon's like. <laughs> I, you actually kind of have a little bit of sympathy for him? And then oh, man god. And, and, because his fingertips are like melting yeah, off melting and his face is yeah. coming oh, off half of it. Yeah. That's and that's
1: wonderful effects there. Yeah. Oh,
0: and man. and the labored breathing yeah. and all of that stuff and then, and then of course he ends up trottling out in out of the alleyway into the street right in front of Clarence in his 6000 SUX or right. whatever. <laughs> and gets fucking just splattered on the windshield to the point where he has to put the wipers on to get a meal off the windshield. And the way the head kind of like, because it's the last thing to get hit, it doesn't... Right, yeah, it just rolls. It doesn't explode. (laughs) Yeah, it just kind of rolls up the windshield and and you're like, oh my God, you know?
1: Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, this was one of those films that apparently the behind the scenes stories is that Verhoeven really had to fight for the violence in this film. And of course, the fight wasn't only with the studio who was trying to ask him to tell... Tone it back, but once it was filmed, right? MPAA was was all up his ass about it, so he had a hard time on this film. But he got a good amount <laughs> of, of violence through.
0: The uh, the guy who gets shot up by Ed 209 in the uh, OCP
1: conference room, right? Kevin Page was his name, apparently. Right. Yeah. He. Uh,
0: they used something to the extent of 200 squibs on <laughs> right. him. Yeah. When Ed Two O Nine blasts him onto the model of New Detroit, right?
3: Please put down your weapon. You have twenty seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mister Kenny.
0: And which is pretty fucking excessive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excessive and cool equals Vierhofer.
0: Yeah, and 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 he talks about it in an in an interview how they had to cut the scene back yeah. to, in order to uh, be able to get an R rating and all this stuff. Right because they, the stunt crew and all that stuff or the, the effects crew had come up with the idea from their commissary lunch earlier to use spaghetti swash uh, <laughs> inside the squibs and have it blow out like guts and all that stuff and yeah I guess it was a little too much for the ratings board and um, he also got hurt by the squib that yeah. they used like 10 squibs at one time to blow the guts out of him and it ended right. up powing him in the nuts so he had to go <laughs> flying back on the table and wait for Verhoeven to say cut before he could right. scream out pain because his balls hurt so bad yeah it's pretty yeah, funny good for him man because i wouldn't yeah. be able to do that if anyone's ever been hitting the nuts out there yeah you can't oh, yeah. hold it in no yikes but uh, yeah absolutely adore this movie and and you know when you're first watching it i think you're you are captivated by the violence and the gore of it all To the extent that you're kind of missing a little, plus being younger, you know, I'm probably 14 or 13 or so when that movie came out. And uh, it's not until rewatching and all that stuff you get to realize that this is actually kind of a funny movie in some ways with the the news footages and the phony commercials they make. And they're talking about how ridiculous commercialism is and and, and capitalism to an extent and how it's getting out of control and what's it going to be like in the future where you're buying all
1: this shit. Yep. That satirical slant that he ends up putting in a lot of his work. Yeah. Right. And the sad part is, is you watch the movie now and
0: you're like, oh, wait, we're living in RoboCop now. Yep. Yeah, He was pretty much almost um, prophetic yep. in his uh, illusion of what the future would be. It's amazing, really. It's it's amazing and it's also a little disturbing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Can you really take the premise of, of RoboCop seriously without the gore? No, I don't think so
0: because... I've never actually seen it, but RoboCop 3 is PG-13. Right. I
1: have seen it. <laughs>
0: it loses its impact,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It becomes like a generic action picture Yeah, because it doesn't have that impact of the consequence of the violence. Right. Yes. Instead of him shooting someone or doing this, and that, you either don't see it or he's pushing someone down or mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. After what you've seen two times before. Usually. Right.
0: And RoboCop 2 is extremely violent as right. well. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's, I think that's Irvin Kirshner who does that. Yep. Uh, Verhoeven's not involved, but he does stay true to the source material. Oh, yeah. Oh, he does. And then for some reason, that movie
1: is really hated, but.
0: I is, was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. But I really I, like it. Well, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, it can't be taken too
1: seriously. It's not meant to. Right. Do you think the satirical angle of the way he did the movie, do you think it gives the gore more bite or? I think it
0: sets it up in a way to where, yes, it is shocking, but because you're already in a mood of like uh, laughing and kind of right. like, you know, whatever, it also gives you that
1: kind of like, oh, zing, pow,
0: yeah, you know, like right. that's fucking badass.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. It's like the tension release, I, I feel like, like in horror movies, you know, horror movies can't be. Yeah like constant scares, constant scares. It has to give you that moment of levity where the person being chased by whoever has yeah. to turn around and get scared by a cat and go, oh, oh, yeah. you're scared of that? You know what I mean? It needs that moment of levity to make the other scares work better or the right. gore or whatever mm-hmm. else. So it, it works in the same way.
0: Yeah, and I think its it seems to be a, a good complement to each other. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It does something to that primal instinct of violence yep. where you you are are you feel gratified Yep. In a kind of a sick way, but you know, right. I think it, I think it's human nature,
2: right?
4: Get your ass to boss, get your ass to boss, get your ass to boss.
1: Yeah. So next up after that is he. He ends up going to Mars. He goes to Total Recall. Right. I don't know if it's as good as as RoboCop for me. Oh, I don't think. I it don't. Is. I don't hold it as
0: dear to my heart. But it is. No. It, I do remember enjoying the shit out of it when I was younger and it when it came out and all that stuff. And and. Oh yeah. The premise was pretty cool. And, you know, they did do some pretty interesting stuff for with practical effects yeah. and all that. You know, yeah. it was pulling great. the thing out of his nose and.
1: It's another one of those things, too, that Verhoeven does a great thing with the movie where he plays with a silly concept. Mm-hmm. You know, because before this, it was very serious directors trying to take on Total Recall. Apparently uh, David Cronenberg at one time was trying to get yeah. this off the ground and when he couldn't get this off the ground he finally left it and then Verhoeven comes into it and then starts to put his his slant on everything yeah, right. and it really works
0: for the film. Right, His strange Danish slant. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a dessert. Mm. <laughs> a Danish slant. <laughs> uh. um. mm. Or a,
3: a, a Danish woman's vagina. Well, I was trying not to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, certainly it has been difficult also in, in, the, in the remakes and even in the sequels has been difficult to imitate the style of the movie which is partially of course ironic and has a kind of a lightness about itself and is not taking itself completely seriously realizes that that is a little bit weird what's happening Um, but i think in all these sequels be it that they have made of my work now be it sequels and and remakes I think the studios always wanted not to have a a layer of lightness, a layer of irony, sarcasm, or whatever, satire. I always felt that it was important to stick to that, but it it comes to my mind in an automatic way, organically, really. I I, I doubt if I can do it without that, you know. It's it's, uh, something that I don't really try to do. It happens, just happens. When I read the script, then it comes out that way.
1: My recall on this movie, no pun intended, was that uh, the one thing I remember, uh, the violent thing, and it probably stuck into my head because one of the things that happens in RoboCop, another one of those things that stuck in my head, is in RoboCop, when they have uh, Clarence, is at the end and he's got RoboCop trapped under the... Mm-hmm. Under the, all the rubbish, r- r- rubble and everything that he's trapped him under, he has that spike thing that comes out that he uses to like put in the computers to upload mm-hmm. memory and stuff like that. And he uses that to jab right in his throat. Yeah. and kills him. That was brutal. The yeah.
0: The amount huge. of blood that comes out on the Robocop's right. shoulder and face is heavy. Yeah. Right. No, I remember that being a little jarring as well. Yeah. Right.
1: And the one thing I always correlated with it was in Total Recall they have Schwarzenegger's character Quaid strapped down to this thing and they're trying to get him back into right. this machine and he pulls right. one of those things up and they have a spike on the end of his wrist yeah. and Schwarzenegger stabs this guy who's trying to keep him down in the throat with it. And it's another one of those things that I remember. That's the one yeah. thing. Yeah
0: I was like, yeah, oh. that was pretty brutal. Yeah. Most of the violence is people getting shot up or caught right. in explosions. And then there's there's two scenes, one in a dream sequence and one at the end where the bad guy both gets sucked out of the um, biosphere and, <laughs> yeah. and, and exposed to the, no,
2: no, no. the, uh,
0: <laughs> the atmosphere uh, or lack thereof on Mars. And right. the face starts to expand and the eyes start to bug out. I remember that being kind of like, wow, yep. that's intense. Yep. Oh, yeah. Me too. So Ronnie Cox, yeah, at, on his scene in particular, when at the end of the movie when he gets sucked out into the Mars atmosphere thing and uh, his face is expanding, they go so far as to show the eyeballs literally pop straight out of his head, you know, and they, you can see the little optic nerves like shooting, but, you know, stuck behind it. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's a lot of, like we were just saying, we're complimenting a lot of the, the, uh, practical effects in this film—they mm-hmm. have a great scene too, where Schwarzenegger has to get this bug that they're tracking him in out of his out of his nose. He his, uh, yeah, it's up in scene. His... it looks a little fakey at first, but when he starts to pull it out of his nose, it's this big round glowing orb kind of thing. Pulls right. it out of his nose—it's a really good mock-up of it, and I, I yeah. believe it's Rob Bottin from The Thing uh, that did oh, okay. stuff on this. So, so, great, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, because there's the other one too, where they use a—it might have even been the same Schwarzenegger head—I don't even know—or a second one. But when he in the woman's suit yes. and it starts to malfunction and when the her head splits off of his his head is obviously not real right it's right. almost like the symmetry of the jaw is a little off or yeah. too wide almost but right. it's, it's it's kind of like that charming kind of practical yep. effects
4: get ready for a surprise oh
1: man did, did you know it was a, a short story before uh no not until way later but yeah yeah it was from Philip K. But, Dick that makes
0: sense though and, and, like, and I had heard that it had been a, a troubled production for a long time.
1: Right. Do you think that Schwarzenegger in the film changes or lightens the gore in any way? Could you ex- kind of expect that from his movies going in? Do you think that might be a reason why? Because there is that one scene, I think it's in this movie, where he's on the elevator and he has this dude in front of him and he, the people are shooting uh, at him. Not
0: an elevator, but an escalator.
1: Escalator, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. He's holding the guy as a shield for bull- right. And the guy gets shot like 80 times or something. <laughs> yeah, like that. right, right, right. And so you see something like that. Is it one of those things like, well, it's a Schwarzenegger movie, you know what I mean? Because, you know, Commando, well, he's killing I, people left and right and stuff. Uh, for me,
0: you know, Schwarzenegger is a tricky thing because right. I feel like he helps add to what becomes the lovable camp of the movie as it ages. Yeah. Cause when, when I'm a kid, I'm a huge fan of this guy and I pretty much loved everything he did, except for yep. maybe raw deal. Right. And, and, um, So at the time, I'm thinking, oh, this is one of the coolest Schwarzenegger movies of all time. But as the movie ages, you know, Schwarzenegger becomes kind of this caricature of himself. And and you can quote this movie for the weird things he says and how he says it. And and they're getting pretty heavy on the the Schwarzenegger one-liners, you know, like... uh, Consider that a divorce. (laughs) And we got. We should mention this is Sharon Stone's. Uh, yeah,
1: she's been in little things here and there. Like yeah. she was in those uh, Alan Quarter main movies with Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, she had been. But this was like her first big role, right. and. Um, because, yeah.
1: I mean, this is Verhoeven. Verhoeven would go on to remember her and put her in Basic, basic Instinct. Basic Instinct,
0: right. I'm sure because the movie was in production hell uh, that um, he was
1: kind of like a, a way later edition kind of thing. Right, yeah. Verhoeven is who we're talking about, of course. Uh, this project actually stems from a Philip K. Dick story. Uh, Philip K. Dick had another one of his stories turned into a film in the early 80s, which was Blade Runner, of course. Mm-hmm. That film did not do all that well, so that might have added to some of the production woes for this film, right. being that one of his the other stories that became a film didn't do all that well. But also, Schwarzenegger actually tells a story that Dino De Laurentiis, which was a big producer in the 80s, had the rights to the story. Dino De
0: Laurentiis owned the movie and he was going to do it with Jeff Bridges. So I uh, was very happy when Dino De Laurentiis had financial troubles at one point and had to sell some of the projects and one of the projects he sold was Total Recall. I called uh, you know, Andy Vania and Mario Casar immediately and I said, you got to buy this project for me. That afternoon when I called them, they bought the project from Dino And then I ran into Paul Verhoeven a few days later in a restaurant, and I said, Paul, I just saw Robocop. It's unbelievable. I said, what a great job you did. I said, would you ever want to work with me? And he says, absolutely. I said, well, I maybe have a project for you. Can I send it to you? So in the afternoon, I had Karalka get in touch with him, send to his agent the script. He fell in
4: love with it. He came on board, and that's how the whole thing came about.
1: And, of course, there is a talk that David Cronenberg was involved with the project and contributed quite a bit to the story before he ended up getting frustrated and leaving to go do the fly and then Verhoeven of course comes in right 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 (laughs) do
0: you think this is the real quaid
3: it is
1: but if we really want to get sci-fi we'll go to his next film Starship Troopers yeah Yeah, let's go to Starship Troopers this
4: is
3: for all you new people I only have one rule everyone fights no one quits don't do your job I'll kill you myself do you get me? We get you, sir!
4: Welcome to the Roughnecks. Rico's Roughnecks!
0: I saw that. I saw this in the theater when I was in tech school in the 90s, and I went with a bunch of kids that I was going to school with, and I was very new to the Phoenix area at the time. Okay. Probably, I'd only been there a few months, and oh, wow. uh, I think I remember going to somewhere in Tempe to see it, and not really knowing i remember i remember seeing the trailers and th- thinking well this is kind of a strange movie but it looks fun and it has you know these alien bugs and all that stuff yeah. and then being a little um naive in my movie knowledge at the time i didn't know who veer i didn't really know the name veerhoven as a as a director right. so i didn't know about it being the same guy who did basic instinct and robocop and and, and um total recall and all this stuff so didn't know what to expect and then i'm watching this movie and uh, even in like some of the basic training scenes where the dude gets shot in the head and (laughs) i'm like what the fuck?" you know this kind of caught me off guard you know and then and then there's the co-ed nude scenes and michael ironside is 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 in it again you know from from total recall
2: Recall. sir i need a corporal you're it until you're dead or till i find somebody better
0: and 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 once they get to the bug planet, and and then people are getting fucking chomped in half, and there's blood flying everywhere, and I'm just going, oh, I'm I'm caught off guard, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But at the same time, totally fucking enthralled, and I was I came out of that thinking, this movie's fucking rad. <laughs> yep.
1: No, for sure, I saw it in the theaters too And I the only reason I knew it was Verhoeven is because I remember seeing a trailer It was just like, from the guy who brought you mm-hmm. RoboCop and Total Recall And all this stuff So I remember thinking, like, oh, this movie's gonna kick some ass And this is coming out in 97, a year after A sci-fi film that was very disappointing To me, which was Independence Day right. So I'm just like this guy's gonna fucking bring it <laughs> yeah yeah and he does he tears it apart and yeah, the movie yeah. ends up bombing of course I think because it's too much I think for people at the time yeah Star Wars had created an appetite for, for sci-fi adventure films and stuff like that mm-hmm. so once we get past Return of the Jedi mm-hmm in '83, it becomes like a barren desert. There's no sci-fi out there. Here and there, there's stuff that comes out, but it's all like real, space
0: adventure right, sci-fi. Weird,
1: yeah. weird stuff here and there. So '96 was the first big. We're bringing aliens, you know, sci-fi adventure back to the screen with Independence Day. I was very not so great about that one, but whatever. And then we move into this, and so he he's going off-world to these weird bug-like alien creatures that are terrifying when you see them there. I mean-
0: yeah, because they are completely
1: emotionless
0: brutal yep. warriors, these yep. bugs. You know, it's that kind of collective hive mind type right. mentality where it's just destroy, 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 and they're, they are relentless and fast and powerful, yep. and you, that first attack that where they come over the hill and all that crap, and you start seeing all the clips of the people getting cut up and stuff, and you're like... how the fuck are these people going to fight this?
1: <laughs> I remember <laughs> you know? thinking after Jurassic Park amazed me with CG, this was the next movie that was yeah. just like, th- this is amazing what they're doing Right? Because F- right. those things look so real. And he, when he could, he used real practical aliens holding on to people and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, on the close-up, right. But the, there's that part where they're coming over the hill and they're running towards the area, and you can see and there's yeah. just thousands of them, and it's right. I remember just thinking like this is fucking amazing. Yeah, you know,
0: you could point out a shitload of yeah. CG-heavy movies that came afterwards where it looked way worse. Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, because it, it obviously there's stuff today that's better than Starship Troopers, but it, it right. holds up surprisingly well. Yeah. It wasn't just the violence, the overbearing uh, violence of the film that turned people off.
3: It's an R-rated movie because it's what these insects do uh, towards our military people is R-rated. And in fact, I cannot believe, cannot see how you could ever make a war movie. And war is ferocious. You know, if you read about war, it's really gruesome. And and I think you cannot make an honest war movie if you say, okay, this is all... Fine and nice and cute, and uh, all people survive. So that's, it's not that kind of movie. The movie takes death seriously.
0: There was also a pretty knee-jerk reaction to where people felt like Verhoeven was uh, glorifying fascism, right? In in the way he had created this um, future uh, right. mentality of uh, fight for your country or die, and oh. and he even he even modeled uh, a lot of this this military after a lot of the Nazi propaganda that came out of World War II. Yep. But in hearing him talk about it in the retrospective interviews, he was basically, the whole point was to make fun of that, because he did grow up in, like, German-occupied Dutch thing where he hated the Nazis and all that stuff, and he wanted to show the ridiculousness of this uh, nationalism, you know, where fight or die and we're the best
3: kind right. of horseshit, you know? Yeah, it was bashed because it was accused of being uh, neo-fascist or neo-Nazi. In fact, in big uh, American newspapers, uh, not even a, as a review, as a film review, but as a reductional article, I think, it was Washington Post or Wall Street Journal. Uh, where they said this is a very dangerous movie because it promotes fascism and Nazism, and these two, the writer and the director, are neo fascist. And that was, uh, let's say, I thought that there was perhaps an American overreaction. But when I went to uh, Europe, we went to um, to all the European countries, but especially the countries that had been fascist, Italy and Germany, hated the movie.
2: No,
1: Hey there, folks. We just wanted to let you know, in case you wanted to reach out and have any questions for us, or even wanted to answer some of the questions that we've posed to each other during the show, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at at TFTFP podcast. Yes.
0: Sometimes you might want to use Twitter instead.
1: Yes, and if that's the case, mm-hmm. you go to uh, the address. there, it's a little different. It's podcast tftfp. Hey, if you want to send us a shiny old email, you can do that at tftfp podcast at gmail That is beyond the truth, my friend. Mm. Yeah, there's the truth, and then you can go beyond it. That's what we just
0: did. (laughs) We went beyond the truth. So let's say you're looking for a little more content from us. Let's say Mm. you have an interest, and you're willing to put down a little bit, a tiny bit of jack for it. Yes, yes. We have a Patreon page. We sure do. And the
1: link for that page will be down below there. In the description Right Or you can just Use your lazy little fingers there To type it into Google Yeah That's a good idea Whatever you want Yeah And do us all a favor
0: And like, subscribe And review us Because it helps us out
1: There's not particularly one thing that stand out in there. I just remember bodies being ripped in half and, yeah. you know, heads.
0: I think for me, it's there's a scene when there's somebody, like, doing a, a news interview while the war's going on because they show that guy turns back to the camera and all of a sudden he gets, like, picked up by a bug and then, like, ripped in half right. or something like And then like, one half of them goes flying one way right. and I'm like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that
0: and when the... Um, the love interest to denise richards oh yeah they get held down by the brain bug and yep. and he gets his brain sucked out by that bug. that that was yeah. pretty hardcore because yeah. he like shrivels up in that yeah. kind
1: of like soul sucking why don't you think that Verhoeven's success with gore in movies can be easily copied by other filmmakers because there's so many movies that try to be gory aft action films and stuff of what he did. They just don't work.
0: Hmm. I don't know if it's kind of like a demented genius from another land
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right you know uh, there's uh, yeah well because yeah those you know the the dutch and the scandinavians are kind of an offshoot of the germans and we all know that germans are these sick and right you know i'm german by the way so don't <laughs> take offense to this <laughs> but we you know there's a dark sensibility about there of course when you take out the dutch german influence in dutch society what are you left with vikings right, <laughs> right exactly. the second you know the, one of the most violent people in the world you right. know that ever <laughs> lifted you know they're very pro-rape and pillage and, right and uh so yeah they definitely have like this sensibility about them you know from that culture and they're great drivers some of the best
1: race car drivers <laughs> in the world come from scandinavia and and do you think that his films stay in action or do to you some of his films devolve into horror
0: I think the fact that it's so shocking and gory that people want to put it into a horror category, but I don't really see it as, I see them as just outlandishly violent sci-fi action films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because yes, I guess there is a horror aspect to the bug armies. Yeah. But to me, it's just like, um, it's more a war movie than than anything. It's not really a, a monster movie.
1: It is a space adventure. Right. And it, they're doing things that you would say, okay, this, this colony of aliens is trying to invade this colony of aliens and this other people get involved and stuff like that. It's the same thing you'd see with lasers and not seeing violence. All he does is use bullets and real mm-hmm. blood. That's all he's right. doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's right. more to it than just that simplification, but that is what he's bringing to it that those other ones didn't. Right. And I think to just do that and then automatically label it like a horror film is just, it's a little short yeah, yeah, I agree. Isn't there source material for Starship Troopers? Possibly the guy's name uh, who wrote the uh, novel in 1959 was Robert Heinlein. Heinlein, something like that. But yeah, it's based <laughs> off.
3: It's based off of that. We really try to get away from the novel. Because we felt that the novel was fascistic and militaristic. And then you add boobs and (laughs) blood and... Yeah,
0: who doesn't love all of those things? Yeah, (laughs) boobs, blood, and uh, decapitations and...
3: (laughs) (laughs) What mysteries will the brain bug reveal? Federal scientists are working around the clock to probe its secrets.
1: If we move into our next guy that we talk about for a little bit, Tarantino is a guy who works at a video store. He's probably, you know, getting to see these over and over again. So you see these movies like RoboCop. Total Recall, yeah. So by the time he gets to do his movies, they're they're grounded, of course, and they're not space epics or sci-fi things like that. But he definitely brings violence to his films. He's kind of known for that. Yeah,
4: I'm uh, a cheerleader towards violence in cinema. You know, I have no problem with saying that I like violent movies Mm -hmm. and I respond to violent movies, and I actually think violence is one of the things that uh, the Lumiere brothers helped invent the camera uh, to do. It's actually, in some ways, it's cinema reaching it one of its fullest potentials. And I have absolutely no hypocrisy or contradiction whatsoever to say that I abhor violence in real life and I can love it In genre, and I can love it in stories, and I can love it in uh, novels. I love violent novels. I love violent anime. (laughs) And I always have.
0: But, you know, a manic genius in his own right, you know, as far as as a writing auteur. Yeah. Granted, a big percentage of the material he writes about is usually borrowed from other cultures and other movies and all that stuff. And and, uh, he definitely has a Tarantino ness that he adds to. Right. the subject matter that he does borrow you know yeah
1: for sure because so, I, I mean,
0: believe the first movie is Reservoir Dogs yeah
1: I mean I always I've always taken Tarantino as a very big fan of movies mm-hmm.
0: all sorts of movies yeah 70s exploitation either whether it's black
1: exploitation or or uh... Hong Kong theater, right? All of those mm-hmm. things, and it's just a mishmash of that stuff in his head that he just loves. And what happens is, is he takes all that stuff he loves, and then boom, it it's it, it comes out through his own filter, and in his own mm-hmm. Tarantino-esque way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the violence in his films, you know, if he's going to do a movie about jewel thieves, mm-hmm. or whatever they're going to do, or robbers, or, or hitman, or w- whatever it is, the violence will follow what i think he's seen in those kind of movies exploitive films and stuff like that and one of his mm-hmm.
0: heroes which is martin scorsese and martin scorsese too also being a, a cinephile and and a and has an encyclopedic knowledge as well yep. about f- film and, and film history what makes tarantino's violence that he brings to the screen tolerable Well, I think for some people it isn't because he's been criticized. Right. I think he's kind of pushing an envelope in a way. Yeah. It's kind of like the way South Park changed what's acceptable as humor in the late 90s by really pushing the envelope and stuff like that and then to the point of where it becomes mainstream and acceptable yep. and I feel like that's what Tarantino's doing by because a lot of his subject matter is usually the underbelly of society stuff
1: like you said hitmen or jewel thieves or right. um, coke dealers right. and stuff like that and he infuses all of this stuff in it from all of those other movies that he loved that mm-hmm. are designed to be entertainment Mm -hmm. And he puts these, again, these kind of real world ramifications to what can happen in those kind of situations, but still plays in the world that he's Mm -hmm. setting up that he never takes his eye off the ball of this is he's always saying this is a movie. I'm referencing movies. I'm doing Mm -hmm. this. I'm homaging this. He's keeping you (laughs) in that world and i think the first real big prime
0: example of it i mean they obviously they all are taking a little bit but the one that really is like a a, a giant uh love letter to cinema is the kill bill movies where the, the violence is is super heightened to the point of unrealistic what? and all yeah. that stuff and he's basically just copying a lot of those old the old kung fu movies where the blood is ridiculous uh-huh. the decapitations are obnoxious and,
1: and you you're doing you know flash zooms into You know, this head goes lopped off and it falls and rolls this many times perfectly there. And the blood squirting up like a faucet's been turned on. Right, right, right. That kind of stuff.
0: Because if you think about the movies before that, they're all a little more grounded in realism. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Apparently an inner battle that was with him with with, uh, Reservoir Dogs was, do I show the ear getting cut off? Do I not show the ear getting cut off? And he realized... Because they did. They did film it. Yeah. They did film it. And and I think someone told him not to. Yeah.
0: Or try it without it. Yeah. I think even though he was pretty insistent on trying to show it, when he tried it without it and reviewed it, he said, it totally works better.
2: Yep. Look, I'm not gonna bullshit you, okay? I don't really give a good fuck what you know or don't know, but I'm gonna torture you anyway, regardless. Not to get information, it's amusing to me to torture a cop. You can say anything you want, because I've heard it all before. All you can do is
1: pray for a quick death, which you ain't gonna get
0: why do you think that is why do you think it works better
1: i think it's it's one of those situations where you get a certain prop and you get too close on it or you get the wrong angle on it or you don't film it right or you don't do it just Mm. right it takes you out of the moment right and i think because it's not real one of the things that he's even mentioned that you try it if it doesn't look right you got to go at it another way and that's one of those things where all you do is you hear the cutting You hear Mm -hmm. the guy screaming, and you see the aftermath of the ear in his hand, and you immediately fill everything, all the blanks in with your head, and it works on that level. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you move on up the road to Inglorious Bastards.
4: Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. Mm-hmm. And
1: he was just like, I am insistent. I want to show them scalp somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, maybe because the, the
0: effects have improved and right. also... Um, well,
1: I mean, you look at where his reputation has jumped from Reservoir Dogs, where he's a new yeah. filmmaker. No one believes him. He barely has a budget. He's like, he probably couldn't afford really great special effects. You get into Glorious Bastards. It's a period piece. He's got an $80 million budget. He can go to the best people in the business and say, how can you make a scalping look real? <laughs> <laughs> I think also, too, when
0: we go back to Reservoir Dogs being his first film and the fact that he hadn't laid the groundwork for his style, like you were just saying, right. is, it, it might have been a little over the top, even if it was good effects. Right. It might have been over the top at the time because the he hadn't pushed the envelope yet. Yeah. No, totally. So by the time he does get to Inglorious Bastards, he, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, so you get to see the, you know, the, the scalping. Color. And the scalping does look good. I'm not going to say, I'm not good like, ooh, that looks good. But good like, yeah. Uh, one of the things I think is brilliant about it is you start to see the incision of the knife, and it starts to be pulled back. He goes to a really far shot where you see them pulling the whole thing off, mm-hmm. and then you see the aftermath and the close-up again. And that yeah. works on a level, he's doing the same thing again, except he's showing you more, but you're still filling in the blanks with your head. And then by the time you get to um, Django Unchained,
0: the shooting violence in that is just off the charts. Right. <laughs> you know, in that final yeah. scene in the mansion where there's just people getting blown to beats everywhere, and right. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. What's your name?
2: Django. D-J-A-N-G-O.
1: The D is silent. Moving up to one of his newest ones, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you get to that Mm -hmm. end, that crescendo of violence at the end, and it starts with a very Mm -hmm. intense situation. That's kind of, there's levity there because of the state of mind that Brad Pitt's character is in. Right, he's all
4: tripping, yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, I know you. I know all three of you.
4: Yeah, Spawn Ranch. Spawn Ranch, yeah. Woo!
1: Woo! he's kind of laughing at these people that are about to inflict some kind of harm or violence to him one you feel kind of reassured knowing that as you've watched the progression of the movie and this character move through the movie mm-hmm. you realize this is a guy that can kind of take care of himself he can handle himself yeah exactly you know, so you're not that you know, but once the violence starts to erupt it just keeps leveling up you know he's bashing this girl's head into this counter and then he moves to right. a wall then he moves to you know what I mean yeah. you get the girl that's being eaten up by the dog, and then jumps to the glass, and then she, you know, she all that. And then she gets fried by Leonardo DiCaprio, and then <laughs> yeah, well, all of this stuff is is leveling up one one after another. And I think that that's smart because what it's doing is is intensifying, you know, what could happen next, what could happen next. And he's giving it so he's doing the reverse of not showing you. He's showing right. you one more, one more, one more.
0: Obviously, that wasn't a very violent movie. No, you know, no. for especially out of his categories, you know, except for, you know, Jackie Brown isn't super violent either, but um, what's important about that is what he's doing is is he's using this violence in, like you said, a very almost funny kind of way to correct something in history that is extremely tragic and extremely violent and you you feel almost like a sense of relief and satisfaction for uh sharon tate and surviving and you're almost want you you, it's weird how he does this but you're almost like god i wish this
1: was true i wish this is how it happened I, i really you know right so some of the violence that happens in this movie do you think the way tarantino invests you in his characters first make the violence and gore pay off better
0: Well, you say this movie, which one are you talking about?
1: Oh, right, sorry. (laughs) I meant, well, all of his movies, really, because there's usually always some character in his movies you latch on to, whether you like a lot or you're following them or whatever. You really get attached to them, and then if something happens to them, it hurts a little more than other movies, like Vince Vega in in Pulp
4: Fiction. Still, I have to say, you play with matches, you get burned.
0: Yeah, that one stings when when Vince gets killed in Pulp Fiction. And because you've grown to really kind of, be on the guy's side especially after going through the whole thing with him and and, uh, uh, Mia Wallace and all that stuff god damn it's a pretty fucking good milkshake told you I don't know if it was worth five dollars it was pretty fucking good because he does kind of come off a little pompous and annoying at first (laughs) yeah yeah, right with the whole
4: right looking at something friend my friend what's that I think you he heard me just fine, Punchy.
0: The whole thing with Bruce Willis and even the way he's being a little arrogant about his trip to Amsterdam, oh, going right. back to the Dutch and stuff like that. The
1: foot rub, the foot
0: massage. Yeah, and all that. It's right, right, right. Yeah.
4: Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you.
0: But then you end up really liking him, and, and, and uh, because he breaks him down in this way when, when Mia is overdosing and the panic that he's going through. <laughs> you know, like, you know, do you know this is, you know, yeah. if you find, if he finds out what happens, I'm a fucking grease spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that whole thing, and you're invested in him, right? right? So then the next thing, when you see him get blasted by Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis gets that payback for calling yep. him punchy. Yep. It's hard because it's a tug of war because of the fact that you're also on Bruce Willis's side by this point too. And these are two likable guys that right. are on opposite. yeah. And so it's a definite loss and it stings because the way the blood is drenched on the wall and then the bathroom tub, the way when he goes down, it just makes it that much more real. Yep. Fuck, this character is dead, you know?
1: Yeah, but I definitely think the way that Tarantino invests you in his characters really attach you to them. So when violence ends up happening, especially if it's a gory into them, it really hurts and stings more than what you would see in a regular action film with some character that you've seen a few times and then all of a sudden they get shot up. You're like, yeah, but with his characters, when when violence happens to them, you're like,
4: oh man. And it sticks with you. Anything can happen. Yeah. And there are no moral boundaries and there are no, uh, oh, well, you can't do that right. kind of boundaries. That is exactly how cinema was when I came into it. Yeah. And I think I went a long way to knocking some of those walls down. The fact that anything can happen to my characters or in the scenario of the story, that is the, the relish that I have. But uh, let,
1: let's move out of Tarantino's violence and let's move into more stylized violence with Zack Snyder and 300 our arrows
4: will blot out the sun
1: then we will fight in the shade
0: it's very much a guy's movie. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Obviously, because it's mostly about men and, and this whole, there's something about it, again, that I think it reaches into that primal instinct of masculinity yep. or whatever, that you, you just are immediately on these dudes' sides. Yep. And even though in in the expo- a lot of people probably think a lot of this shit is bullshitted, but granted, Zack Snyder exaggerates per- certain well, parts of it by making certain people monstrous, but the actual through line of the story of the Spartans is true. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sp- but I don't think that we can necessarily uh, blame the exaggerated stuff in the film so much. On the shoulders of Zack Snyder, even though he does that. Yeah. It's Frank Miller. Okay. All that stuff is directly from his uh, graphic novel. But the
0: whole storyline, you know, the comeback uh, with your shield or on it kind of thing, that's, like, taken from literature anyway. Right. It's not, like, made up for the movies as, like, cool lines and stuff. Right. And the idea of the Spartan Society actually discarding the weaker children, and that's also taken from literature, history. We don't know if it's true or not, but it's believed to be true that they kind of molded themselves into the best possible. It's almost in a kind of fascist kind of way when you think about it, but the end result is so badass and, you know, almost like a a Mandalorian-type culture in a way, where it's nothing but the most fierce warriors.
3: Spartans never retreat. Spartans never surrender. Spartans! Prepare for glory!
0: And even to, to the point when, when that movie, you come across the other Greek armies and all that stuff, and you're like, wow, those guys are a bunch of pussies. Right. I mean, that's on purpose. That's by design. Oh, but yeah, of course. It shows. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, for sure. I mean... Um... And the, the, the story of the 300 holding off the Persian armies is actually taken from history as well. Oh, yeah, right. right.
1: Yeah, and I remember reading a little bit about it when my younger days, definitely before the movie ever came out, and he, not being super into it and then once the movie did come out and watching the movie and all of that stuff then going back and finding the graphic novel and then mm-hmm. past that looking at documentaries about the subject and everything and seeing what all these people on the documentary said about it and then going back to it and i think that what happens in that movie a lot of the critical things that happen in that movie is that A lot of people look at it as if it's supposed to be Braveheart or Gladiator or stuff like that. And this movie romanticizes the uh, action and gore a little bit more than those movies do in a different way, in a very comic book over stylized way. And it tends to, when the criticism hits this film of 300, they concentrate too much on that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's an unfair comparison. No. So uh, comparing it to those films, it's definitely not trying to be that. It's definitely stylized Mm -hmm. in a way that's supposed to entertain. And it does, it hits your adrenaline going as, I mean, me as a male, Watching that film, I could feel the adrenaline. Yes, you can feel it pumping and going. There's a scene in it, and it's it's a technique that Snyder uses a lot. But it's the slow mo that pushes in, zooms in, Mm -hmm. goes a little fast, zooms out, and but it's one solid shot, and the guy's running through the army and cutting off right, just cutting off the legs, and yeah, that's a great scene. I Love that. I know,
0: and and I think he got criticized a lot for his stylized slow mo and all that stuff, and how it's gimmicky and all that stuff. But I don't know. No, I, I, am If it, if
1: I'm a goof for liking it, and then I'm a goof. Yeah. No. Because <laughs> I, I think it's fucking cool. So, do you think the digital gore affects you the same way as regular blood packs and practical effects?
0: Yeah, when it's done well. Mm-hmm. I think it does. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: I think too how much you're invested in it. If I'm invested a lot in the characters or what's going on in the screen, I'm not concentrating on that and just the right. violence. Yeah. Is what's affecting me
0: yeah well and i think w- when you're going back this far in history which is 500 years bc or whatever right. there's no way to represent it, but to- roman- the, the romanticized way, because it 's not really written history in a way it 's more um fable history right. at at that point, you yeah. know what i mean we
1: didn 't have c n n on the ground there reporting with their drones and shit to <laughs> <don't know everything, laughs> yeah.
0: granted though you know you you mentioned Braveheart as a more grounded situation. The reality is is the the history of William Wallace is almost completely <laughs> unknown right. And and a lot of that story, that movie was made up. Yeah, for it's, a rom- movie. it's
1: another romanticized it's a size, thing yeah. to, to build up a legend. And so that's right. you know one of these these things that a lot of war movies end up doing or are movies that you know like uh, like Gladiator even you take that movie uh, which we were talking about at the beginning mm-hmm. the whole Gladiator and arena I think that's such an interesting idea. I'm not talking about the Russell Crowe movie. I'm just saying that as a movie of someone in the gladiator arena and everything—such an interesting idea—that that that does breed a lot of interesting thoughts into what you could do and the gore you could show if you really had an Mm -hmm. art thing and I think taking that and then putting that into something like 300 or something like that, 300 does what you could see in that with what Snyder brings to this and of course Frank Miller too with his stuff but yeah, really striking visuals and the gore, he just doesn't shy away from showing it So Snyder
2: then
1: does another thing with a graphic novel in my opinion to success some people don't like it so much but it's Watchmen I love yeah. that movie The Watchmen yeah, I do too yeah. I love that he he got a budget of 140 million dollars to do one of the more nihilistic pieces of work outside <laughs> of something like Fight Club <laughs> right right Oliver the will drown
3: the accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up around their waists And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, Save us. And I'll whisper.
0: No. And, and he, of course, he has to change the ending from the graphic novel because well, I think yeah. we've discussed this in the past. The, the graphic novel's ending is a little on the goofy side. The HBO series... Embrace it in a nice re- way. ...returns back to the original ending of the graphic novel with the squid monster and all that stuff. Right. It, it seems to me, I think I would have been a little, like... Oh, really? That's what you're doing with this? Yeah. You know, with the squid monster and, and turning it into this uh, other thing with the...
1: Right. The bomb that radiates the same energy as Dr. Manhattan, blaming it on Dr. Manhattan. Then you get the uh, world coming together. the yeah, common enemy. Right.
0: But there's, you know, it, I, I wouldn't say this one is all about the the gore and the violence no. or anything like that. No. It just, it uses it in key parts. Yeah. Yeah to kind of stamp uh, uh,
1: a point across and all that stuff. Well, the, the one that stands out in my head is when Rorschach finds the pedophile guy out, he killed the little girl. He goes crazy there. That's when Rorschach has the turn, goes from vigilante to judge, jury, and executioner of anyone he deems not necessary to live. Right, right. And so he takes that meat cleaver and puts it in the head of that pedophile guy, no! quite a few times. And I think people look at that as if Snyder is being excessive uh, in the gore mm. for, for gore's sake. And I, I feel he's doing it to punctuate the intensity level of where those characters are, mm-hmm. where they have to take it for that day and time.
0: Well, I think for me, the, the, the violence scene, it's a Rorschach scene as well, but um, it's when he's in prison and uh, <laughs> oh, demasked, and yeah. basically everybody comes for him because they all know that he's the reason they're in jail, and he basically just dismantles the shit out of all these people, and it's yeah. fucking cool. Yeah. Takes the one guy's arms off, and then there's the little uh, little person guy that he yeah. <laughs> destroys. Yep. Yeah, uh, I like, I really enjoyed
1: that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's
0: satisfying.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, me being a diehard nut boy comic book fan, it's always interesting for me to see characters who have a code at first, a vigilante or a Superman or whoever you're talking about, Spider-Man, yeah. and then something pushes them to the outside of sanity, mm-hmm. and they are just balls-to-the-wall extreme. Right, and and and
0: I think what's cool about the, the Rorschach character in that in that whole thing is, like you said, he's unhinged, and right. he resolves the threat of these goons right. with rage. Yep. And and uh, there's something about, again, maybe it's primal. Again, there's something about when somebody does something extremely violent with rage behind it, it's right. kind of satisfying in a weird, creepy yeah. way.
1: And I think too is his character does, as you watch the movie and the story goes along and everything, you you see that he feels. Inadequate in some scenes. Mm-hmm. He, he feels lesser than, and this is his way of kind of righting wrongs of people that he feels are experiencing the same things, maybe through violence or whatever else. And so we all can identify, I think, with that in some way Mm -hmm. and wish that we could lash out in certain ways. And to see that done, maybe again, yeah, like you're saying on that primal level, just but yeah, fuck Mm -hmm. that guy up, you know? (laughs) Right, right. So does bringing real gore into a comic book film make it more accessible to non-comic book fans? That's me, a comic book fan, asking you, a non-comic book fan. So if this movie would have been
0: basically what I'm saying, PG... No, I wouldn't be interested. Right. I wouldn't. I would think the story isn't enough to... It needs an edge to it. It needs an edge to, to make it interesting. And going back to the Logan thing and all that stuff where you... you know from the comic book material that wolverine even though i didn't read him i still knew of his legend that he's this most right again it's that rage thing he's a he's a character of rage and he's a little bit watered down in all the x-men movies you know they they make fun of it and you know use it as levity and all that stuff but once you get to logan you're seeing him logan as wolverine is supposed to be and it's very satisfying
1: yes yeah, because that's okay, this is this is the whole point. Even without knowing anything from X Men or anything. If you as a non comic book fan, if I tell you, Oh dude, there's this comic book with this dude. Yeah. That's full of rage and he has these fucking three knives come out of both fists.
0: Yeah. What are you gonna imagine if he's fighting someone? And he's almost impossible to kill. Right. Yeah. You're gonna think of this crazy beast man, you know, like right. a Tasmanian devil kind of thing, and you don't really get to see that until Logan, which is like what the eleventh movie he's yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? <laughs> right. And final movie, but Right. So so we think. So we think. To be yeah. continued. <laughs> dot dot dot. Yeah, from one comic book movie to the next, or two comic book movies to the next, uh, the next one we're going to tackle is it's kind of an underdog movie and didn't get a lot of attention, but it's fucking cool. Good old director Pete Travis brings this one Right, right. In 2012 was Dread.
2: Inhabitants of pitch trees. This is Judge Dread. In
4: case some people have forgotten. Mama
2: is not the law. I am the law. You have been warned. And as for you, mama,
1: judgment time. Who is it who is that under the mask?
0: Yeah, that's Carl Urban. Yeah. And he's pretty fucking dope in that movie. He the is. guy from The Boys, you know, you may know, and he's also in the Thor movies. Yeah. So, I remember when Seeing Dread was coming out like yeah. in trailers and stuff like that. I, I remember immediately being turned off to it because of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> The Sylvester Stallone Judge Dread movie that was out in the early 90s or yeah. late 80s or whatever It was yep. in ni- 95. Okay
3: I knew you'd
0: say that So I, it was hard for me to take it seriously and I ignored Dread when it came out and I knew and it, it didn't do I don't think it did well. No,
1: it did and, you know,
0: and, and And it got buried pretty quick, yeah. right? So I forgot about it.
1: Yeah, because it had like a budget of like thirty or forty million, and it made like mm-hmm. forty one or something like that. So yeah,
0: I think it was you several years later that basically brought it to my attention. You're like, "Dude, did you ever see Dread?" And I'm like, "No, I just wrote it off because of the Stallone stuff." Right. And you're like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> you must give this a shot." And I'm like, "Really?" Yeah. And you're like, I, "I promise you, give this movie a shot." And I'm like, yeah. "Okay." So I think I, I literally watched it that night and was like, "Holy shit!
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! This movie is dope." Yep, I saw yeah. this. I worked at a theater at the time and I saw this and it was playing. Mm-hmm. The thing that I didn't want to I didn't want to see this movie when it originally came out. The reason why I didn't want to see it is because uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the comic book. I thought it was an interesting idea, but. I wasn't really looking forward to it, one, because I wasn't a fan of the comic book, and also Mm -hmm. the director, I remember seeing that they were shooting it in 3D, and I go, oh, this is just a gimmick, a gimmick grab, and that's all they're going for. Right. But at the time, I was working in the movie theater industry, and I ended up getting to see this film uh, in 3D, no less when it came out and was just obliterated by it. I loved everything about it and fell in love with the gore that the movie used to punctuate the uh, hardcore violence, just loved it. Right. And then just the simple use of slow motion in the film is so artistically and really creatively incorporated into the story and beautifully shot. And so you can really tell that this director Mm -hmm. was a huge fan of Verhoeven. Yes,
0: yeah, this movie is an homage, in fact, there is a direct homage from Robocop in the movie where after they capture the one guy who's who's accused of um, skinning the guys and throwing them off the roof.
2: Oh, right, yeah.
0: They're trapped in a corner and a bunch of the thugs come up and uh, basically Dredd starts... Talking out, he says, you know You now
2: have twenty seconds to comply.
0: Which is a direct line from at 209 and whatever. And then yeah. the time goes by and the guy's like, What are you gonna do, Judge? You gonna blah 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 and
3: 10 seconds to comply. Fuck you, Judge. You got five.
0: Right. And then I was yeah. like, that's directly taken from Robocop. And I'm like, Oh, oh of course. That's fucking sweet.
1: Yeah, dude, <laughs> Love it. And one thing that we should point out being that uh, our earlier show this month was about practical effects, is the action in this film is part CG and part... Practical work. Right. right. When the dudes hit the floor. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, the skinned
0: guys in the beginning hit the floor. That's It's all practical effects, and you can tell by the way it moves and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. it, it works really well. And
1: right. yeah. Well, uh, there's that other scene too, the hot shot scene, which I love. You get a little corny line in there that you need in a, an action movie like this. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I heard you hot shot. What? I said, hot shot.
0: And it looks great. Yeah, and the way that guy's head melts off. Yeah, it's so badass. Also, the idea behind the slow-mo drug yep. is genius. It is. It's so genius. Yeah, uh, so
1: to come up with the idea to have a drug in your film called slow-mo that actually you can use slow-mo technology to show the altered state of consciousness during that drug It's right, right. amazing. And then what it also does is it allows the filmmaker to be able to slow down the images in the film when the action hits and really make it hardcore. Mm-hmm. So you see every tiny little speck of blood. Mm-hmm. And also the horrible impact that the bullet has when it travels through a human body. Like when they, when
0: Dread blows the door
1: up. Yeah. And that guy
0: who has no shirt on and it, yeah, the, it, ripple. the blast, the yeah. ripple, you know, the ripple in his body as he's being shoved back from the blast. Right. It's,
1: yeah. Awesome. And it's, it's
0: a- in slow motion because, you know, everybody in there is on slow-mo. Right. So, yeah, it's so cool. And that one, the long-haired kid slowly pulls for yep. the gun and all that stuff. And he ends up taking a shot from Dredd right in the face. Yep. But we're, we're behind him. Yep. So we don't really see the point of impact. We see the point of exit, you yep. know, out the other side of his face, you know. And Yep. It's so beautifully realized and dark and, and fucked up. That's the other thing that's really cool is is the weapon and how it's uh, DNA identified and it, you call out the different types of yeah. ammunition you want to use to yeah. change. It's super cool. Yeah, I,
1: I don't know the comics super well, but I do know that that is something from the comics for sure. Right,
0: right. I believe it, and 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 the fact that they doesn't he never shows his face. I'm sure is from right. the comic as well. Yeah, right? the, the ones yeah. that
1: I remember, they never show his face. You see him take off his helmet from the back, mm-hmm. maybe in silhouette. But I mean, again, I'm not a huge fan of the comic, so I might be wrong. Right, right. I don't think that in the ones I read, they never showed his face. And, and I think oh.
0: it's it's pretty cool of Carl Urban, too, yeah, to basically say, you know what, that's cool if I don't yeah. show my face. You I'm know.
1: not playing me in this film. I'm playing Judge Dredd. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think
0: it's pretty cool. And yet, you know, the girl doesn't have a helmet on. She's pretty and all that stuff. Right. But there's a good excuse for yep. it. And, and they, they set it in there right away. And he's, yep. you know, and it's a great line, too, because she's a uh, psychic or whatever. She can read minds, and right. she says, the helmet affects my, uh, up my psychic abilities. And Tread's response is, he's like, I think a bullet in your head will affect him even worse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want you to take her out. Give her one day in the field, supervised. See if she makes the grade. Sink or swim. Chuck her in the deep end. It's all a deep end.
0: No, you have those those three miniguns or whatever blasting yeah. that center oh, block man. out, and it's extremely satisfying Love to it. watch. <laughs> yeah.
1: Love it. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I think that is very economical about the film, very intelligent about the film, is that it contains the action to one building, and that reminds me a lot, of course, of the raid, which I'm sure this is actually borrowing. From. Mm-hmm. Raid
0: Redemption, yeah.
1: The Raid mm-hmm. film has a ton of really great action and gore in it, too. I mean, a lot of the newer films that I respond to have that kind of mindless, gory action. Yes. Uh, like John Wick. Take those John Wick films, right. okay? It's the same movie over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't give a shit. I love those movies. The violence in them is so amped up, and they're just cool to me. I just really respond to them.
4: Right. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah. I'm thinking I'm back!
1: And, and so obviously what we're saying about the whole point of this this episode too is, th- is there something primal that makes us want to watch this stuff? Well, John Wick has made all three of those films near a billion and a half dollars. <laughs> right,
0: right. So obviously something's, something's going, going on. on. Yeah, yeah, right. When a cool death is shown in front of you, there's this, something so satisfying about it and it must be that mob mentality that's into us right. over the last several thousand years. Because
1: before those movies come out, I don't instinctively and in my own private life just like, man, I wish something would come out that would show really great death. You know, you don't think that but then <laughs> something comes out and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna see that. Yeah, right, right. right. And you don't want to see it in real life.
0: No. Like you said, right. someone tries to get you to watch those death movies or whatever, and you're like, especially as you
1: get older. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's harder to watch. Well, like I was saying earlier, with when people get on those sites that have real death in the videos and stuff, like, I can't do that. If someone shows me something from those, I'm just like, man, I wish I had never, never seen them. it. Yeah. Uh, but it's different when you go see a movie, right? And right. I'm, I, I can't explain what the difference is, but when you're watching John Wick, you're just like, "Yeah, cool that motherfucker."
0: Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> it's
1: it's artificial. Yeah. So, a lot of the movies that we covered have PG-13 remakes. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why? Why? Why does? Why don't they work? RoboCop, for instance. Okay, we've had yeah. a ton of instances of RoboCop being more tame. Be like. The remake of the film was a PG-13 thing that I saw and I did I wasn't a big fan of at all. I hated it. Yeah. And then he had a TV show and a cartoon show and stuff. So what mm. makes it it, inst- is it because you see it's instantly silly? I think it delegitimizes
0: it somehow. Mm-hmm. It's something that came out that had teeth and you're basically taking the teeth out of its mouth.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see that with Total Recall. Total Recall had a PG-13 with Colin Colin Farrell. But they basically said they were trying to make it more close to the uh, source material. Material, Right. But a lot of it's very much the same. Yeah. I think that's just a cop out. Even even down to the sex worker with the three tits.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and and this is going to carry into TV and carry on to keeping Carl Urban in the subject is... I feel like the show, The Boys, because it has a significant amount of uh, graphic, gratuitous violence in it, it it makes me really pissed when the show is over and i got to wait another week. I want it to keep going. It just adds a gravity and kind of like a... You know like almost like a gravitas like a, how dare they make a tv show like this kind right. of thing and I, I, you know i know you're not quite as big of a fan of it as i am but yeah no yeah i like it though when it came out i watch it and like um, immediately in that first scene where the girlfriend gets destroyed i totally did not expect that right and seeing her, you know, that that slow motion blood trail of her with pieces of her spine yeah. and yep. all that. I was like, holy shit, what am I watching? You know? Right. Yeah. I thought it was pretty
1: fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate it for being outside the norm of the typical superhero genre these days. Right. And it's realistic to me. Yeah. You know,
0: because of the humanity that's inserted on the superheroes right. uh, that they're not really that super that they're corruptible and like yeah. egotists and all that just makes sense that seems
1: like what would really happen right and that brings us back to the watchmen cuz the watchmen explore that
0: yeah so i think that's our little uh, rant and rave about uh, uh, graphic violence and you know basically what we want to cover the stuff that that we want to talk about i mean i know there's plenty more that can be talked about out there but for sure I, we
1: definitely just wanted to choose more towards action films in this one yeah. although because horror would just be a whole nother realm yeah <laughs> right yeah of gore and violence that would would have to have a longer yeah. show to to cover anything like that so that's mainly why we chose this and
0: my personal reason is i just wanted to figure out a way to talk about dread
1: <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah because
0: uh, that would be so fucking cool right so uh, uh, thank you for taking this journey with us, everybody. And, uh, and we
1: want to hear what you yeah may want. And we're going to have some questions that we pose to each other, right. pose to you. Right. So you send those back to us, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do something fun with them. So in the meantime, we're going to end this
0: transmission. Okay, then. I'm going to hit this fucking button.
1: Okay, fine. Do
0: it. Stop threatening. Fuck you. I'm hitting it right now. <laughs> <laughs>